Amen. Thank you, Brother Tilson, so much for that ministry and song this morning. Would you open your Bible with me to the book of John chapter 15 today? John chapter 15. And I want to begin this morning by reading just one verse of Scripture that really summarizes the the theme of the message today. John chapter 15 and verse number 5. Jesus said, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. I would like for you to Say with me that last phrase, those last seven words. Ready? Begin. For without me, ye can do nothing. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we need you today to open our eyes so that we might behold wondrous things out of thy law. Teach us what we need to know and change us to be more like Christ by showing us just how much we need You. And that without You, we are nothing, and we certainly can do nothing that will matter for eternity. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. One of my very earliest memories comes from when I was in preschool at Hickory Grove Presbyterian Preschool. Didn't know I had a Presbyterian background, did you? Didn't really, but my mom was a teacher there. And so when I was three and four years old, I would go and attend the preschool that my mom was teaching at. And I actually have two very distinct memories from that time in my life. Um, the first has nothing to do with the message, but I'll tell it anyway. I remember distinctly one day sitting down for lunch at our preschool, and I had a little plastic lunch box, and my brother was in charge of packing lunches. And so every day I just would sit down, open my lunch, and eat my lunch, whatever was packed. It was usually the same thing, a sandwich, chips, and some kind of a little Debbie snack, usually an oatmeal cookie, oatmeal cream pie, that is. And by this day, I sat down with my lunch and I opened it up and to my horror, it was empty. Now, there are a few things as tragic to a hungry four-year-old boy than sitting down and opening up your lunchbox expecting to find food and finding nothing. Yeah, my brother understands where I'm coming from here. I distinctly remember seeing that and I remember just being horrified, shocked, scared, and I just started crying. Yeah, little four-year-old Stephen Chambers bawling his eyes out right there, staring at an empty plastic lunchbox. And I distinctly remember my mom coming over and finding out what was wrong. And, of course, I had to tell her that Davey didn't pack my lunch. I had to make sure he got implicated in this horrible crime. I mean, he needed to be punished for it. I mean, maybe even death sentence here. This was bad, right? So, And so I remember her taking me by the hand. We actually walked across the street to a gas station, and I remember she bought me a pack of crackers and chips and a drink or something like that and, you know, soothed my my poor little soul. That was one memory has nothing to do with the message today. 
The other memory that I distinctly have is every once in a while we would go to the lower level of, of this preschool building and we had block walls there, kind of like we have in our classrooms here, and occasionally they would project some kind of a cartoon or a little movie on the wall for us to watch. And on one particular occasion, I distinctly remember watching the cartoon of the little train who could. How many of you know that story, the little train who could? A classic classic kid's story about this little train. And I remember, uh, you know, feeling bad for this little train as he was made fun of by all of the bigger trains. And, and I remember being excited for the little train when he got his big chance to show that he could haul a load too. And, and I remember feeling anxious for him as he got to that big hill and wondering, can he do it? And I remember very distinctly cheering him on in my mind as he's chugging up that hill, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. And then when he gets to the top and he finally crests it, I remember cheering along with my four-year-old preschool mates there that, yay, the little train, who could? He did it because he had perseverance. He had determination. I didn't know those big words then, per se, but I understood the, the moral of the story is that through perseverance and determination, determination, you can do it. Well, as far as a kid's story goes, that's not a bad lesson to learn. Everybody should have a, a good amount of determination and perseverance about it, not being willing to give up. But I believe there's a downside to that kind of thinking that if we're not careful, we'll allow it to carry over into areas of our life that, well, it just doesn't work. Because it's... The truth is, there are some things that we cannot do. And no amount of, of willing it to happen is going to make it happen. It's just out of the realm of possibility for us. This is especially true when it comes to spiritual things. And if, if we encounter something that's impossible for us, but we stubbornly push ahead anyway, insisting that we can do it, uh, when the reality is it's just not possible, then we're going to get frustrated, we're going to get tired, and ultimately we're going to fail. When it comes to spiritual things, because we are sinners, there are some things that we cannot do on our own. And I think we can break it down into two simple, simple statements. Number one... You cannot save yourself. And number two, you cannot sanctify yourself. Those two things are out of the realm of possibility for you and for me. No amount of I think I can, I think I can, I think I can is ever going to save your soul, nor will it ever sanctify your soul once it's been saved. We have to realize these truths We are sanctified and we are saved the same way, by grace, through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so so instead of saying, I think I can about everything that we approach in life, we need to learn when to say, I know I can't. Now here in John chapter 15, verse 8, which is our text verse to begin with, Jesus made the statement, without me, ye can do nothing. Nothing. Now, John 15 is all about the vine and the branches. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. And just like a branch is completely dependent on the vine for its life and for its fruitfulness, its productivity, you and I are completely dependent on Christ. If we are separated from Christ, we're just like the branch that's been cut off and thrown aside. It's going to wither and it's going to die. 
Without the branch, the vine can do nothing. And without Christ, you and I are helpless. We are hopeless. Now, this sounds on the surface as kind of a depressing message. But it's actually not. Because the truth is, without Christ, we can do nothing. But Paul gave the other side of that coin in Philippians chapter 4 when he said, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. In our own power, we're helpless. But through Christ, nothing can stop us. We are more than conquerors. We can do all things through Him. And I want us to take just a minute this morning and look at these two areas of salvation and sanctification And make sure we all understand that we cannot do these things without Christ so that we will depend on Him to do for us and do in us the things that we cannot do for ourselves. So first of all, you cannot save yourself. Turn over to John chapter 3. In John chapter 3, we find the story of Jesus and Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a religious leader, very well known, uh, very intelligent, very influential. And he had heard Jesus teach and he had perhaps seen some of the miracles and he had become very curious about Jesus. And so he decided to go have a conversation with him secretly. The Bible says he came by night to talk to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said in verse number 2, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. So this is his introduction to Jesus, kind of setting the stage. And Jesus' response, kind of curious, in verse 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, does that not strike you as a curious response from our Savior? Because Nicodemus had not yet asked anything about the kingdom of God and and how to get to heaven or how to be saved or anything like that. But see, Jesus knew what was on Nicodemus' mind, knew what he was really wondering about, and, and Jesus just kind of cut to the chase, if you will. Just enough small talk, let's get down to business here. He said to him, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, you and I, if you've been in church any length of time, you've heard the expression born again enough that you, you, you already equate that with salvation. But Nicodemus had never heard that before. Jesus said he's got to be born again. Well, that, does, that just seems like a crazy idea. Because notice what Nicodemus said in verse number 4. How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? What are you talking about, Jesus? How how are you supposed to be born a second time? It's just, here's the summary of what he was saying. It's not possible. That's not possible. Even with all of our medical technology today, we can all understand that being physically born a second time is not possible. Okay? Does, it can't happen. And so Nicodemus is totally confused here. Why would Jesus say it this way? Why would he equate salvation with being born again, something that is physically impossible? I believe it was because in that he was communicating the spiritual truth. That just as it's impossible for you and I to be physically born again, it is impossible for you and I to make ourselves 
spiritually holy so that we might be saved of our own effort. Jesus would go on and, and explain more about what salvation looks like, how the, the, that the Spirit of God is involved. And you may not be able to see the Holy Spirit just like you can't see the wind, but you can see the effects of the Holy Spirit. He talks about the necessity of faith. Uh, he talks in verses 14 and 15 how Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, the wilderness, going back to that Old Testament story when the people had been plagued by the fiery serpents and God told Moses to put that brass serpent on, on, up on a pole and and whoever would look at it would be saved. Illustrating what simple faith is. It's simply a turning to Christ and, and relying on Him. And then that famous verse in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever, what? Believeth. Him should not perish but have everlasting life. This whole conversation was a conversation with Nicodemus, a religious man who had spent his entire career meticulously keeping the rules and the regulations, expecting that his own effort was sufficient to establish his righteousness and save his soul, is now being told, you can't do it. It's impossible. You must just have faith. It is by faith, not by works. The Bible is very clear that salvation is by grace through faith apart from works. Titus chapter 3 and verse number 5, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us. Sadly, there are many, many people in this world who believe that they can have a part in saving themselves. I don't meet a lot of people who are so arrogant as to say they don't need God at all. If they have any any kind of a spiritual leaning at all, they're at least humble enough to admit they need some God involved in the process. But I meet people all the time who believe that salvation requires at least a little bit of effort on their part. And these people, I mean, they you find them all on the religious spectrum. From the Catholic Church to the Mormons to the Jehovah's Witness uh, to uh, people who would consider themselves Protestants and even many people who would call themselves Baptists, if you were to really nail them down on this issue, they would say, no, I believe you've got to do at least a little something. And they think that, yes, Jesus died on the cross and, and He did all of this and He's come all this way and all I've got to do is somehow just just kind of close the last few inches of the gap, and then I'll be saved. Friend, that's not how it works. Look in uh, Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4 with me. You see, behind that thinking of, well, I just, I just got to do a little bit. And, and it doesn't matter what it is. Some people say you got to join this church. And you got to do all of these important things. Some people say, well, you got to be baptized. That's what you've got to do. That's not much, but that's what you've got to do. Some people say, uh, well, you know, you've got to... And they have their different lists and reasons and different things you've got to do. And so some people say you got to do this much. Some people say you got to do this much. 
But it's all the same principle. It's just a matter of degrees there. How much are they saying you have to do? The problem is, is that when you say you have to do anything, that salvation requires any effort on your part, you have now turned it into salvation by works and not by grace. Here's the biblical principle. Romans chapter 4, look at verses 1 through 5 with me. What shall we say then that Abraham our father, as pertaining to the flesh, hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the Scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly. His faith is counted for righteousness. Here's the principle. If it requires any effort on your part, it is not by grace. That's what the Bible says. To him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. So if I said to you, I need you to take one step toward the front of this auditorium. And if you'll do that, I'll give you $100. If you took that step, and I said, well, I'm glad you took that step, but I I changed my mind. I'm not going to give you $100. Would you be okay with that? No. You'd say, but wait a second. You told me that if I took one step, you'd give me $100. And now I did what you said, I put forth the effort, and now you're going back on your word. You would be saying, in essence, you owe it to me. You owe me that $100. And rightfully, I do, because I committed to give it to you. To him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. Salvation is by grace, because God does not owe it to any of us to save us. I know that hurts our ego. It does. I know that we like to think, well, I'm a good person, and I've worked hard, and I deserve this. The truth is we do not. Romans chapter 3 says, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. It says that for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. 623 of Romans says, for the wages of sin is death. You know what God owes us? Death and hell for all of eternity. Why? Because He said to Adam and Eve way back in the garden, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for in the day thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. He laid it out for mankind right there that the penalty for sin is death. That's what we are owed. Anything beyond that is grace. This is, this is why you have to understand Some people, they think, well, it's just a little tiny bit. And I've had people say to me, you know, compared to what God has done for us, it's just so small. But you still have to do it, whatever it is. This religious work, this effort that you have to put forward. God says, no, if it's by works, it is no longer by grace. Some people think, well, if I keep the Old Testament law, I remember... Uh, years ago, I encountered a man in, in Lowe's, of all places, um, that uh, he was a Seventh-day Adventist, and uh, uh, he believed that you had to keep the Old Testament law in order to be saved, especially worshiping on Saturday. 
Sunday um, is not the Sabbath day, according to them, and it's not the you know it's not when we're supposed to worship. And those who worship on Sunday, uh, that's actually the mark of the beast. You're apostate. If you do that, you're definitely not going to heaven. And he was trying to tell me how that you know we had to keep the Old Testament law in order to be saved. And so I got to asking him some questions about things that are in the Old Testament law. You know, do you ever wear clothes that have two different kinds of materials in them? That's in the Old Testament law. You're not supposed to do that. Um, sometimes they're pretty strict on their diets. I didn't, I didn't necessarily press him on that. But there was, there's more than just the Ten Commandments, you understand. There was over 600 commands in the Old Testament law. Why did God give those commands in the first place? Well, it certainly wasn't to give us a way to earn our own salvation because nobody except the Lord Jesus Christ has ever kept all of those commands perfectly. But according to Galatians 3.24, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. What the law teaches us are the ABCs of salvation. That we're sinners, that the penalty of sin is death, that we need a Savior, and that Savior is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the law teaches. Not that, hey, if you're really good and you try really hard, you can earn your own salvation. No. Anyone who has ever tried to keep the the law perfectly has failed again, except for the Lord Jesus Christ. And they have found, and that's what the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 7, the good that I would do, that I do not. But the evil that I would not, that I do. He said, I got frustrated because I wanted to keep the law, but I couldn't. I kept messing up. Have you ever been there? You want to do right, but you keep me messing up? Why is that? It's because we're sinners. And because we don't have the strength in ourselves to save ourselves. So what... What do we do? Let's look in Ephesians chapter 2. Verses you may be familiar with, but just to really nail it down this morning, if we can't save ourselves, if no effort of our own, no matter how small or big, is, is sufficient to merit salvation, what do we do? Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace... And we've already established that grace and works are exclusive. You can't mix them. They're separate. Oil and water doesn't work. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We are saved by grace through faith. What is faith? It's just believing. And some people try to make faith into a work. It's not. Faith is not a work. That's a very bad definition of faith if you think faith is a work. Again, the illustration Jesus used, the serpent, they just had to turn and look and they were saved. There's no effort involved there. There's no, well, I accomplished this much. No, you just made the decision. That's all. You chose to trust. That's faith. And and anybody who would try and misconstrue faith as something that you and I could boast about is, is missing the entire point of what faith really is. Because faith says, I have nothing to boast about. I have nothing good on my own. I have no merit. I have no work that would be sufficient to pay my sin debt. I have to trust Jesus totally and completely. Faith is an admission that you are helpless without Christ. It's not a work. Salvation is by grace through faith. And so, 
We can boil it down to this. Salvation only comes to those who say, I cannot. Salvation only comes to those who say, I cannot. And then, what about this other area of sanctification? Now, let me define a term, because some people may not be sure what sanctification is as I talk about that. Sanctification is simply that lifelong process of becoming more like Christ once you come to know Him as your Savior. Once you're saved, after that, you're on a journey. You're walking the Christian life. And the Christian life is all about becoming more like Jesus day by day. More like Jesus in how you think, more like Jesus in how you speak, more like Jesus in how you act. Every area of your life, you are being conformed to the image of His Son, to use the biblical language of Romans 8. You're being changed into His likeness, 1 Corinthians talks about. And that's what the Christian life is. Ephesians 4 describes it as growing up into Him. We, we use terms like a baby Christian sometimes to describe someone who's newly saved because uh, the Bible likens a person who's just gotten saved or maybe not very spiritually mature to an infant. And there's a process of a person growing up. Uh, and, and throughout your life, you're changing. As you age, you're, you're growing in different ways. Uh, for the first years of your life, you're doing a whole lot of physical growing. You're growing up. Uh, for the next few years of your life, you continue your physical growing. You grow out, you know. And so it's just all this changing, but uh, hopefully not too much. But even, even as you get to middle age and beyond, you're continually changing. I look out here today and we've got a broad range of, of life experience here. We've got some very, very young folk in here. We've got some folks who are very, very not young and, and just it's all over the place. And you all recognize with me that you change as you go through life. And the Christian life is, is all about changing to be more like Jesus. And we summarize that process with the word sanctification. How does sanctification happen? Some people think, and I've heard it said, salvation is by faith, sanctification is by works. Folks, that is not true. It's not biblical. Turn to the book of Galatians. If you're in Ephesians, just a couple pages to the left. Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, verse number 1. O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you? This only would I learn of you. Received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Now, let's answer the question Paul asked in verse 2 before we read verse 3. He said, did you receive the Spirit? And he's talking about what happens at the moment of salvation. When we receive Christ, we are baptized into Him. We receive the Holy Spirit. He said, when you receive the Spirit, did it happen by the works of the law or did it happen by faith? And we've already talked about that. So you tell me, is it by works or faith that we are saved? It's by faith. All right? Did you receive the Spirit by works or faith? The answer is by faith. Now notice verse 3. Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit by faith, are ye now made perfect by the flesh? 
What does the flesh represent? Our own effort. All right, I'm saved by faith. Now that I'm saved, I'm going to perfect myself in the power of the flesh. Paul says, that is a foolish idea. No. No, no, no. If you are saved by grace through faith, you are also sanctified by grace through faith. We walk in Christ the same way that we received Christ by grace through faith. Let me illustrate it this way. In Matthew 6.27, Jesus said, Can any one of you, by taking thought, add one cubit to his stature? Can anybody do that? Anybody who's short think, you know what? I am only this many feet and inches. I wish I were a foot taller. So I'm going to will myself to be a foot taller. And so they, uh, they came up with a scheme and a program. All right, I'm going to eat this food and I'm, uh, I'm going to do these exercises and I'm going to do these stretches and, and every night before I go to bed, I'm going to spend 30 minutes meditating on being taller and uh, when I get up in the morning, I'm going, to, uh, I'm going to read all the blogs about being a taller person and I'm going to listen to motivational speeches about being a taller person and how wonderful being tall is and, and how you can uh, reach all the things at the grocery store at the back of the top shelf. And, uh, and I'm, going to, I'm going to focus on that and I'm just going to Devote my life to being a foot taller. How many people are going to get a foot taller by doing that? Zero. Can't do it. You can't do it. Now, that's what Jesus was obviously saying there. You can't make yourself taller by thinking about it, by wishing it, by willing it. You are your height because of things that are out of your control, by and large, all right? That's just, God said you're going to be this, this, this tall. That's how it works. Now, I want to use this as now a spiritual illustration for growing in Christ because it's the same idea. When it comes to growing physically, is that a natural process or a supernatural process? Now, don't get hyper-spiritual here. But is it natural or supernatural to grow up? It's natural. It's natural, all right? All things being equal, you take any organism and it give it the right nutrition and time and it will grow like it's supposed to be. Now, here's what, I, here's what I want you to think with me. If you and I cannot make ourselves grow in what is a natural process by any effort of our own, then who are we to think that we can make ourselves grow in a supernatural process by the effort and the thinking we can't. You see, it's natural for us to grow up in height. It is not natural for us to grow like Christ, to become more like Him. That's not natural to our flesh because this corrupted, sinful flesh wants to constantly revert back to its old ways. And if, and, and if we are dependent on the Creator God for things like how tall we are, how much more must we depend on Him for being like Christ, you see? Now, I know some of you, you're probably playing Sherlock Holmes on me right now. And, and you're thinking, well, you know, you can do some things that will affect your growth. Like your diet, especially as little children are growing, if they're malnourished, they're not going to grow to the height that they should be. So can't we, by our own effort, make ourselves grow? Uh, I want to challenge that because... When you 
let's say, take things like just something basic like eating. You realize that every time you eat something, you are saying, I cannot. You're saying, I cannot exist without this food. If you don't believe me, go the next three months without eating something. That's not going to work, is it? Because you're saying by, by, by even you know, good diet, exercise, nutrition, all those other things that you're saying, okay, well, I'm going to make myself grow. No, all you're saying is, is I can't do it on my own. I need something outside me to be able to achieve this. And here's the thing. I, this is the way I'd like to phrase it to you. You make the choices, but you don't control the outcome. You make the choices, but you don't control the outcome. When it comes to spiritual growth, there are choices you have to make. There are some very basic choices that every Christian must make if they're going to grow in Christ. They need to choose to be in the Word of God. They need to choose to pray. They need to choose to regularly fellowship with God's people. Those are basic choices. And that's not all the choices, but those are basic choices. However... You do not control the outcome. You do not guarantee your own spiritual success by, oh, I made this choice, this choice, and this choice, so that's why I'm such a spiritual person. No, if you are spiritual at all, if you have any measure of spiritual wisdom and holiness, it is because God has worked in you. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. The fruit of what? Spirit. Wait. I thought that I would check this box and do all these things and do everything right, and then I would produce the fruit. No. No. The Holy Spirit produces the fruit as you choose to say, I can't do it. I can't do it on my own, so I have to obey the Holy Spirit. I have to obey God's Word. I have to do what God says. I have to fellowship with God. I have to read my Bible. I have to pray. I have to go to church. I have to witness. I have to, I have to live a holy life. Not because it somehow is an effort of my own that makes me spiritual, because, but because it's an expression of how helpless I am. You understand the difference this morning? I know it, it, it sometimes can be kind of hard to wrap our minds around. We think, but I'm, I'm doing this, so isn't it my effort? But you've got to understand that if you're doing these things for the right reason, you're not doing it because you believe your effort is going to result in some great outcome, but because you're doing it because you realize that without God, without Christ, you can do nothing. In the Bible, there were a group of people who had gotten this all backwards. They were called the Pharisees. See, the Pharisees thought, well, if I do this, and I do this, and I do this, then I will be righteous. And therefore, I will be spiritually superior. You know what Jesus said? He said, unless your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall not see the kingdom of heaven. You know why? It's because their righteousness was self-righteousness. Oh, they had moral lives. Listen, they checked all the boxes. They gave tithes of all that they possessed. They fast twice, twice in a week, and they did all of these great things. And to look at their life, you'd think, well, that's a spiritual person. But Jesus said, not good enough. Why? Because they were doing it for themselves and in reliance upon themselves. It was self-righteousness. 
when you do what is right, because, but you do it for the right reason, because you recognize that without Him, you can do nothing, that is when you are sanctified by grace through faith. Say, Lord, I can't, I can't do this. And, and you encounter this all the time. I know you do. Because you're a, you're a people and I'm a people too. So I, I, know you, I know you encounter these frustrations. There's something you know you should be doing spiritually. You know you should be nice to people even who are mean to you. Right? Y'all worrying me here. Okay, Jesus said, love your enemies. Okay? So... That's something we know we're supposed to do. We know we're supposed to do that, and we're driving down I-20 and some person cuts us off. And, and do you feel it naturally all of a sudden? You want to respond like Christ and love your enemy? I don't think so. And you feel this frustration. It's like, ah, I know I shouldn't act this way. I know I shouldn't feel this way. I know I shouldn't do this, but I do. You know what you're feeling? You're feeling your helplessness. You're feeling the fact that without Him, you can do nothing. It's not in your flesh. It's by faith in Christ. Listen, so many people get frustrated with the Christian life and some even give up because they failed over and over and over again and they got so frustrated with their struggles and their defeats because they never understood this point. That it is not by the effort of our flesh, it is by faith in Christ that we are sanctified. If you're in Galatians here, chapter 2 and verse number 20, I close with this verse. The Apostle Paul wrote, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, notice this, but Christ liveth in me. In the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. There are some of you in here today, perhaps, who you have been trusting in the works of your flesh for salvation. You thought, I can do it. Maybe you believe that Jesus came and died, was buried and rose again, and you believe that He did 99.9% of it, but there was that 0.1% that you have, you've done, and you're relying on that. Well, I was baptized, or I joined a church, or I've been a good person. Whatever it is, you've got that 0.1% of your effort that you've added to what Christ has done, and that's what you're basing your salvation on. You need to say this morning, I cannot. Because it is by grace and not by works that you are saved. You need to have faith in Christ for salvation. And then there are some here today that you have been frustrated with the Christian life. It seemed like a series of unending struggles for you and you haven't been able to figure out why. You know it's not right, but it's just escaped you up to this point. Can I suggest to you that it's probably because you're trying to live the Christian life in the power of the flesh. You're thinking that because you've done A, B, C and go down the list of all of these good things that because of that, you are a holy person. You are a godly person. You are like Christ and you're depending on the works of your flesh and you find yourself frustrated all the time. 
Friend, as you received Christ Jesus, so walk ye in Him. Colossians 2.6 Walk by faith. You still do the right things. You pray, you read your Bible, you go to church, you do all of the things that you're supposed to do. But you do it not because you think you can earn your own sanctification and holiness, but because you realize you're helpless. You say, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make the right choices, but I'm going to trust God because He's the one who controls the outcome. And when you give it over to God, and you know what? That is so freeing when you do that. It is just a burden lifted off of you when you realize it is not up to me to change myself to be like Christ. It is a work that God does in me as I submit to Him. What a burden is lifted when you learn to walk the Christian life by faith. The little train, I'm glad he had the determination to get up the hill. I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. But there are a lot of people who are trying to climb the hill of spirituality with the same attitude, and what they have found is they cannot. It's not until we stop our own effort and depend on Christ that He will get us to the top. I know I can't. He can. Heavenly Father, thank You so much for giving us Your Word. Thank You for giving us Your Son who does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Lord, I pray that you would be glorified in our lives through our helplessness. Even as you told Paul that your strength is made perfect in our weaknesses, may we admit our our helplessness and trust you because you are the one in control of the outcome. I pray these things in Jesus' name. With your heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, Aren't you glad that God sent His Son Jesus to die on the cross for us so that we could be saved? And not only saved, but sanctified through Him. Aren't you glad of that? I know many of you in here have trusted Christ as your Savior. And I hope that this message this morning has been a reminder to you of what all that means. Not just that we've been rescued from our sin and rescued from from death and hell, but also that we have been redeemed and we've been given the ability to live the kind of life that God wants us to live. This morning, as we have our time of invitation, I want to invite you to take a moment and praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord for sending His Son. There may be some, though, who've never trusted Christ. Friend, I want to invite you to trust Christ right now. What does that mean? It means simply deciding You're not going to depend on your work anymore. You're going to trust Jesus and Jesus alone to save you from your sin because He died on the cross, was buried and rose again so that you could have eternal life. It's not a work. It's not an effort. It's simply a choice to trust Jesus only. If you've never done that, I want to invite you to do that now. And to the Christian in here today who's been trying but struggling and failing to live the kind of life that God wants you to live, I want to invite you to go to the Lord in prayer and confess that you've been living the Christian life in the power of the flesh. You've been trying to establish your own self-righteousness and you are now confessing this morning that you've been wrong. 
and trust the Lord to sanctify you today, to work in you, make you more like Christ. Heavenly Father, move during this invitation time, I pray, to glorify Yourself through our response. And I ask it in Jesus' name.